Hi there, my name is Roger Warner and I'm co-founder of Felix, the content automation app for content makers. Give us a go, we'll double your engagement and we'll get you a bunch of cool new formats like video, audio, Instagram stories and others faster and cheaper than your next cup of coffee. This is our podcast series, it's also called Content Makers, hope you enjoy. You can find out more about Felix at www.gofelix.ai. All right, so I'm joined by Monty Munford. Hello, Roger. Hi, Monty. Before we started, Monty had uh, a rider on the evening, which was a fine quality lager. I did insist on it, actually, Roger. So I popped to Tesco's, and we're, we're here about 10 floors up in Brighton at Tower Point, enjoying the high life. Cheers, Monty. Cheers, Roger. Well, sit down on set. Lovely to see you. You too, bro. How are you going? Mm. Really well, yeah. So the series, Monty, as I was saying, is just about content makers. So we met about 10 years ago, maybe a bit more. I Nine, actually. Okay. This podcast is an excuse for me to go and chat to good friends who, well, like who buying, do, who do good, good, good things. Buying you know? people drinks at Christmas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we're, and we're talking about technology and content and creative now how those things will get mixed up and in that period of, of 10 years like so much has changed social media mobile and you know the whole works it's a different world that we live in but yeah so in that time you've been writing for the economist and TechCrunch, a whole host well, well i suppose it was i went to i, I was pretty early in mobile 3G mobile games. The company that I worked for before the launch of the iPhone in 2007, we were pioneers in mobile games and I'd worked for a company down in Brighton, managed to get them a deal as a games company that only did console and PC, if you could imagine PC games. Yeah. Uh, I managed to get my contract with Vodafone uh, to test every game that went out on Vodafone Live was tested by the company that I worked for called Babel. So I, you know, I saw a wave, you know, mm. to surf and all that stuff. So I remember sending out a press release about Babel was opening up an outsourcing office in India, and we had also launched in a very kind of hyperbolic way the first wireless lab dedicated to games, which right. was basically two acts and one game, which was two meter. But the operators went mad for it. Right. The phone didn't stop ringing, so that was the wave that you had. What to year was this? Jesus, 2000, I just got married, so it must have been 2003. Right. So so that network was formed and all that stuff. And then I got a job with a mobile games publisher in Soho, yeah. which was a big call because it meant going back to London and I you know, had new baby marriage in Brighton. Mm. And that terrible commuting bullshit, yeah. you, you know what I mean? But we, we were, so, so it, was a, it was an extraordinarily Wild West time if you were a developer and you made a game, that meant that you had to come to an aggregator or publisher, which is Player X. That's who we were. Mm. We would evaluate the games because we would take a big hit on selling them to the operators, right. which was the only channel, right? Yeah. So it was Vodafone and Orange and T-Mobile and the three, and there were five. And so we were quite pedantic about which games that we, we chose. The iPhone was coming up probably, you know, 18 months after that. But there was a company in Finland called Rovio Mobile. Okay, yeah. So Rovio Mobile sent 50 games through our processes. 
They were full of bugs, they were shit, and they were rubbish, and they were running out of money. And then I think, I can't remember the exact timing, but they had run out of money. So oh. they said, this is our 51st game. You know, we'll give you 51% share if you can give us 250 grand. Uh, and we failed it. Oh. And that game was Angry Birds. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I'm sitting here doing a fucking podcast with you. <laughs> no, no, but in seriousness, it's like nothing's a mistake. You know what I mean? We, we were living the high life at the time and all that stuff. But then the, obviously the iPhone came along and then that meant the developer could go straight to a store yeah it was fundamentally a huge change in the way that the ecosystem you know was I don't know, formatted mm. uh, and then i suppose after that you know the, the recession was coming we were a funded company we didn't have much profit mm. we were spending 250 grand on the developer to make the game 250 grand on porting the game of course handsets yeah because that's hideous right yeah i mean yeah. from nokia to Motorola, it was ridiculous. Then we would pay a license to whoever we were dealing with. We were going high. You know, we, we did a lot of stuff with Universal in the US. Uh, games and, and mobile video. Their mobile video didn't become business. And I was with the co-founder of the company, I think just a few months before. I, I went to India for two years to get out of the hood. And we were in an office somewhere in LA. And we were meeting, there was a company called Ampt. It was an MVNO, right? Uh, and they've been given a huge amount of money, like four hundred million dollars from MTV Ventures, to become like another operator and sexy and all this stuff. Great handset. Mm. And me and Ari were in reception, and, and then one of the phones went off, and I said, "Ari, that's and my no way, man. We're in the offices of where they filmed Twenty Four, right. which was the biggest <laughs> TV show at the time." But then there was an epiphany and it was just like, we met these guys, we had the rights for Hasselhoff content like Knight Rider and, you know, yeah. all these type of things. And we met the amp guys and they said, yeah, man, you know, we've got the rights for screensavers and ringtones. And we said, oh, well, that's amazing. This is a perfect deal, UK, US. And then one of them, and they were very nice guys, you know what I mean? And then mm. one of them turned to me and said, yeah, we had a great, we had a great, uh, uh, we had a great uh, month last month, yeah. obviously. And I said, "Yeah, because you know, you know, we, we you know, we, we sold six, and at that time, like five dollars was like a good a screensaver or a thing." Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, six, six thousand times five—that's thirty grand. Yeah. You know, that's three hundred and sixty grand. That's not bad. It's all starting." And then I realised he meant six, <laughs> six times five. Thirty dollars right. revenue. <laughs> this is all true. I mean, I'm not yeah, yeah, making yeah. it up. And they had all this funding, and I think that was my opinion. Thought this is just ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like pioneers get arrows in their backs and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I saw the warning signs, and so I think, yeah, eleven years before I met you, I went and got on a plane with my wife and five-year-old son, and we lived on the beach for two years. <laughs> and I fell in love with social media, uh, and then I met you. Yeah. And then writing, and then you're coming back to writing, right? There was there used to be a gambling magazine, like a print magazine, when I, I used to manage bet shops when I was a young young guy. And there used to be this kind of really strange A3, 90 degrees thing called gaming and, what was I called? I'm forgetting it. Uh, gaming and, no, what was it called? Racing and Football Outlook. Mm. And I had a little shrine on my desk, you know what I mean? Mm. So we had a biz dev meeting at Babel 
and said, you know, we, no one knows what's going on. I said, well, listen, why don't I start writing a newsletter on a Friday when everyone's yeah. you know, chilled before lunch and just a little bit, a bit of editorial and then 10 stories in the US, 10 stories in Europe, 10 stories in Asia about what was going on in mobile and licenses and games and content. Yeah. Uh, and they said, you know, whatever, you do it. And then I had that copy. So I called it Monty's Game in the Wireless Outlook just for no other reason. Uh, and then started to build that newsletter on, on a Wednesday. So that was, you know, I was writing every week. I was writing every Friday and pretty much taking the piss. The one I, the one I do remember is that Vodafone, I don't know, I, I would use anything that I'd read in my leisure time and then somehow hook that into yeah. what someone was doing. And there was something about Vodafone at a Christmas party and we got loads of people to go to hospices dressed as clowns. Right. And it's like, oh, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> people get scared of clowns. <laughs> and then loop that into their free juice strategy or whatever. So 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 that so that was, you know, I that was sponsored by EA and Nokia and, and it was a little bit of a thing. So when I went to India, I changed it into Monty's Indian outlook. Right. And then told stories about, you know, buying sugarcane juice and the beach. Yeah. And all that stuff. Telegraph got in touch uh, and asked me to write uh, stories for them about India. Right, okay. And that's where I kind of, you know, and I was also did a couple of things for the FT and the Sunday Times, you know, yeah. on assignment to the Sunday Times in Kashmir and it was like a dream. I didn't, you know, know. I didn't know that. No, man, yeah, that, that, was, that was great. Yeah. Like, you know, for two years living on the beach in an amazing house and, I don't know, consulting for Nokia, Liverpool FC and Universal about the Indian mobile ecosystem, and then I made a big deal about I'm coming home. Right, but I had showed off a little bit about that I'd left. I'm never fucking coming back. <laughs> so it wasn't surprising that I didn't get offered much when I came back, and I'd made myself unemployable really because you know, mm. then I just didn't really give a fuck. And I actually did give a fuck when I met you. I was, I was, when I met you, I, was, I remember we were around the corner. We lived in South Street. Just yeah, it was at the Gardener's Arms. It was at the Gardener's yeah. Arms, which is not a pub that welcomes people, because of them. It's, it's one of my favourite places. I, I, I broke it. It took me a year <laughs> to break that pub. But I remember there was a friend of Have you met John Lindbergh, a friend of mine? Uh, no, I don't know. So John and Sally were on our baby course, you know what I mean? So... Uh, I, I got dressed up to meet you, mate. Do you know what I mean? Because it's a Sunday, I think. And it's like, God, I've got, I've got to get a job, man. I've got to get a job. This guy's doing well, content promotion. I'll come down and, and get a job. So I actually got dressed up to meet you, bro. Uh, but we had a good conversation and, and we just became friends, right? Yeah, and, and this so this was at the start of so the social two. media boom. Yeah, well, that was the thing. I think I got into social because I, I was king of mobile in many respects i mean that's a bit arrogant but i mean I no, was, no, you know no, i was yeah. kind of you know pretty involved in the inception of it of the content i suppose but then when i was in india i realized that well, i became a bollywood film so i was in a couple of movies and then i realized that there was suddenly this great platform to kind of propagate and to show off about you know twitter was the first one i think you know what i mean and yeah. i i know there's a great friend of mine called mike butcher OBE, MBE, it was the editor of TechCrunch, who, who still is at TechCrunch, actually. And I remember being in a mosquito-ridden internet cafe <laughs> and just rang him up on my phone and said, what the fuck is Twitter? <laughs> Tell me what Twitter is. And he was very kind, and he told me what it was. And I thought, oh, that sounds amazing. As a sub-editor, ex-sub-editor, ex-Fleet Street sub-editor, you know, yeah. used to write headlines to, yeah. to, to create a story in 140 characters was like a dream to me, you know. Yeah. 
so I fell in love with that and I kind of left mobile by, by, by the wayside. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons I wanted to meet you is because you, you'd seen the bit early doors. You were quite smart in it early. Correct? Yeah, it was, Correct? <clears throat> yeah they, were, they were fun fun times. We were rocking up and talking to big companies and brands about what is this Facebook stuff all about. Uh, so you knew about it and they didn't. So you were... Yeah, we a lot and for the first couple of years or so it was we were just helping it. You know, it's a lot of like consulting and training and education and so on before we got going on you know, more interesting like creative things and campaigns and So what was the creative <laughs> campaigns that you did? Oh, who did we work with? God, I'm going back into this. <laughs> we work with Once uh, a moderator, always a moderator. Yeah, yeah. You turn it around. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Yeah. And we were working with uh Tom Tom and Expedia. Oh, I remember you working with Tom Tom. Yeah, yeah. It was great times because, you know, more luck than timing than judgment, you know, the phone would ring and it was like, oh, well, right. I do remember you telling me pretty early in our, in our friendship that, that social media agencies were dead. Yeah, we They'd yeah, all be dead in two years' time yeah, and which... you probably did quite well with that. <laughs> timing was everything, yeah. <laughs> there were a few big guys who sort of flew the nest and, and did brilliantly. Like we are social and, and so on, they're super smart. Oh, yeah, at scale, absolutely. you know, they're a good, good network and, and you know, very smart people. It was pretty easy, social people to begin with, right? Well, yeah, uh, I, I think as with anything with new tech, you know, now we have things like I don't know, cryptocurrency, which I know you're into, and, and AI, and it, all these things are like mystical, they're magical when before they even begin to have like an impact in any way. You know, I was chatting to someone who I worked with like 20 years ago, and we were talking about network computing. That, like, that, that, and, and now I've got, I've got a Chromebook, which just works on the internet. And, yes. and this in a world of PCs, and you know, so it was 10 or 15 years before stuff actually, you know, happens. Yeah. I mean, it depends what the audience is for this podcast, right? But it was really difficult to do stuff online, mm. you know, like 15 years ago, even like 12 years ago. Because everything was dialed up and slow, and you know the creativity and the creation of content, I suppose, was really hard. Mm. You know what I mean? And I still sometimes get that fear if I lose connection. <laughs> and I go back twelve years. You know, like God, if I keep, saved it, if I saved keep it, saved, if I saved yeah, it. Yeah. Oh no, no. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a cloud. Chill out. I kind of miss those days as well because it was much more immediate, and it was. It, I suppose it'd be like people that used to use a typewriter yeah and then use a keyboard or a, you know yeah word processor like, but yeah. there was something more urgent about the content you created because if you press the wrong button you yeah. fucked up the whole page right yeah and i think there's the same thing with like a slow internet so the editing process yeah. changes over time with speed and... well it just gets easier right? <laughs> yeah you know yeah. that's so easy yeah how do you find it though could like could you because the other thing that you're awesome at continually is your network you have an amazing network of people through lot, all these different things that you've done and through writing as, as yeah well, well that was pretty deliberate right you know what i mean i mean i, I retrained as a journalist when i was 38 mm. 20 years ago mm. i don't feel like 58 mm. you know my body's been a amusement park not a temple if you know what i mean looking good though <laughs> thank you roger so <laughs> you. um but, but, that, but that was quite lucky for me because you know i traveled a lot and i was a betting shop manager and a dispatch rider and a traveller and all that stuff. And I went around the world in 94 and I wrote a book with a Mont Blanc pen, handwritten a book, 140,000 words. And it was really deliberate because I knew that 
no one would probably ever do that again. You know, I'm not sure there's people that do it like just to, just just to make a point. But the, but there was I didn't know anything about computers until I wrote that book, and I ended up in Vancouver, the Richmond Library, after working on a building site, and then asking the librarian how to work with Apple, right, and how to do it and all that stuff. But I think somewhere along that process was that it was so easy mm. to type a book. Mm. I think that's what they said about, I think Truman Capote said that about Jack Kerouac, about whatever, you know, he just typed a book. <laughs> and that was in the, I think that must have been in the 50s. But I think there was a, there was a, there was a part of my brain that was like, okay, I'm, you know, my, the book that I wrote kind of failed and I came back to the UK, moved down to Brighton, you know, just to get some quiet time, really, I was exhausted. But there was a kind of deliberate process is that most of the people that I'd known that were my age had been stuck, not stuck, but had been doing the same type of thing, mm. especially when it's kind of like pigeonholed it into entertainment or content. Um, the internet came along and they were slow to it. Mm. I was, I'd been on the road for 20 years and it's yeah. like, oh, great. There's an there's another wave to catch, and I might be able to catch it a little bit earlier than those that are stuck. In, well, stuck yeah. is a really bad word, sorry. Yeah. Um, and I think I was lucky that when that came along, I was fresh to it, and it was it was obviously an opportunity for me and to catch up with yeah. people that have been working hard for twenty years while I've been a bum. <laughs> That's probably in your nature, though, right? Being uh, inquisitive, or You're curious. Open, yeah, I've always so. been curious and yeah. wanted the best, and I wanted to have the maximum of life. And, and I certainly did do that when I was younger. Risk and danger and travel and all that stuff, absolutely. But I thought those kind of parts of my experience were not really relevant. I just thought I'd, I'd, I'd fucked it up, really, mm. you know. And then when I went into an office, I went to the London College of Printing, did a three-month course in periodical journalism uh, and it was two years work and three months mm -hmm. and it was postgraduate and I'd never done a degree and all that stuff so it was an amazing opportunity to catch up five years and three months and it was a great time and all that stuff you had to get an internship I wanted to work for the face magazine which is now back by mm -hmm. the way and then I thought I'd need to catch up with everything so mm -hmm. I did a year as an intern for a IT magazine mm -hmm. and learned then you know it's just the curiosity i suppose is, is paramount but there's also you have to be a little bit opportunist when there's mm. a chance right you know and going back to you know what you were saying about the network it was like right okay i have to have a network mm. there are ways and means of having a network whether it was a newsletter that i wrote previously or going out and getting drunk in solo week after week after week after week and then coming back from India, then using social to to do it. It was it was a it was a very very deliberate strategy. Not so much. There were people used to say to me, saying, "Why did you just not like charge for doing that? Because you got Harry a job at Harry's." Mm. And it's just like, "Well, just buy me a beer. I don't care." You know, it was like just good faith. Mm. And that's because because I'd had jobs. And when I came back from India and found it very difficult to get a job. I was really looked after in a way because I'd never been a monetized guy. Right, yeah. And I had a network of about 10 years of good faith. Yeah. I'd done nice, I'd, yeah. I, I really had done nice things for people and yeah. not kind of, I suppose, earned out of it. Yeah. it. So, so I had a network of good faith anyway. And then there was, a, okay, now I need to populate LinkedIn, populate Facebook, populate yeah. uh, Twitter and all that stuff, and then use 
technology as well as the human mm. side of it all. And you're right, yeah. I built up a, an amazing network, and then the journalism, which I kind of started again when I came back to, from India, my Indian work for the Telegraph, I transmuted that into the technology guy. Again, yeah. you know, there were people like Mike Butcher had told me this, and I thought, this is like the music industry in the 70s, right? Yeah. This is going to be free. I yeah. can go anywhere yeah. and get kind of, you know, any, anywhere, and I can meet everyone. And if I can meet everyone, then I can test myself about how smart I was. And then, I'm not saying the higher I went, but the further I went, the more it was like, Jesus Christ, this guy's a billionaire or this girl's a billionaire. Mm. And I held my own. Yeah. I held my own for a couple of years. That yeah. I just listened and just, you know, and I had some pretty good stories anyway because I'd lived differently to they, that, the way that they'd lived. And then it became symbiotic that yeah. they wanted to talk to me because yeah. I'd lived in a different way to them. Yeah, and yeah. it still is the same to this day. I do have an amazing network. Yeah. Uh, and they are, you know, they are my fuel, and and, I, and I'm kind to them, and they're kind to me. Yeah. That's very important. Yeah. To me. It's cool that uh, te- technology is sort of clutched together on everything that you're doing, right? So you're writing about tech, you're using technology, your uh, network, and your life is. It all seems very sort of cohesive. And yeah, well, it's, well it sounds like, but they're, they're, there's accomplices as well. Yeah. Speaking at conferences, I mean, people have a fear of public speaking. I hate my voice, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you try yourself in that area and then you meet other speakers and then you're all in a little family mm. and then you can't do something and then they give that to you and it's all very sherry. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the most, most kind of <clears throat> value thing that I am and what I do is that I... I Share everything, yeah, but only with people that I think deserve it. Yeah, yeah. No, I won't. Yeah. So and and then like from writing, so yeah. t- technology and tools and so on. I'm interested in like the writing experience. I imagine you start with a blank page, right? And and not many folks do that. The guys that I'm talking to are doing lots of different you know, formats. You deal predominantly in words, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, and, uh, <clears throat> and the thing about that, none of that's innate. None of that's inborn. It's all craft mm. you know there's no one's born a writer yeah and i think the thing about this is that doing it regularly and and so after my effort of going around the world writing a book and learning how to write journalism is no different to books really it's just writing regularly so when i started doing this newsletter every friday and lasted for about four years mm. it was my thing on a friday right mm. collate to the week yeah what did i read this week and it's and i read all the time i read yeah. three books a week or whatever Mm. There's always knowledge to, to, to glean from that. And I suppose I was also a collector. I just thought, okay, I've been writing for the Telegraph. Let's see where else I can write and let's find out how I can do it. And, yeah. you know, let's, let's open that network as well. And then it opened and then it went from the Telegraph to MIT Tech Review to TechCrunch, Mashable, Newsweek, The Independent. Never wrote for the Times, actually. Uh, BBC Technology Business wrote for Forbes for four years. Yeah. But the big one for me was The Economist. That, yeah. was, that was like the epitome of it all, you know what I mean? I, I, there was a guy there called Tom Standage. He invited me into their offices in St. James's. Mm. And I remember those offices because I used to deliver there as a dispatch rider. Right. Go up the ramp, you know, fuck you. <laughs> Suddenly I'm going through the front door. 
Right. So I went up there on the 28th of December and said, oh, economist, yeah, let's see, let's pitch them. And we went for coffee and he said, I've been, look, been looking at your tweets. Mm. Seems to have an interest in his life. Would you like to write for The Economist? Amazing. What? Yeah. And it's like one of those fist pump moments in your life. You come out <laughs> and just everything I did was meant to be. And all yeah. that. But it wasn't a done deal. It still took me about seven months to get a piece of The right. Economist. I, I remember talking to you during that time. He just yeah. wouldn't. He just said no, 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 yeah. no, no. Yeah. But I suppose, I suppose writers... You always get used to rejection. That's mm. one thing you have to mm. get used to. You have to have a thick skin. Mm. I think the biggest compliment any other writer will ever give you would be like, yeah. <laughs> saw your piece. <laughs> and that's it. I mean, that's as high as it gets. It's a, you know. but, but, but not so much about feeling of rejection. It's just persistence. Yeah, yeah. You know, like anything in life. Yeah. I know you do this bullshit about entrepreneurs failing and winning. Yeah. It doesn't really matter about that, but you just got to be persistent in what you believe. Yeah. And and as long as you're getting better mm. at what you do, if you're writing every week, you're going to yeah. become a better writer. Yeah. And if you can see the results and yeah, people like it. Yeah. Well, you never know if people like it or not. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Don't don't you read the comments at the bottom? Yeah, always. <laughs> it's like footballers that say they never read the newspapers. Of course you do. You, you know, I get very upset with someone. And then I'd probably get involved a bit too much. So there's a way to end. Yeah. Hopefully, you are injured. Yeah. Come on, let's go and get a beer. Then we can get Roger. Back again. Love you, man. It's Pleasure, been nine Monty. Years. Thank you so much. Quite good. Fun. You ledge. I love you, baby. <laughs> ledge. I get. Can I just finish? Yeah. Uh, when it comes to being in the industry, right? When yeah. you're in, in your twenties, yeah. You're new to the industry. Yeah. When you're in your thirties, you're in the industry. Yeah. When you're in your forties, you're an industry veteran, <laughs> and when you're in your fifties, you're an industry legend. Legend. I get my bus pass in sixteen <laughs> months' time, so I wonder what it is in the sixties. An industry veteran. Fucking my. Stay in the. Stay in the. There's a word that speaks to the mind, but I probably better not say it. All right, mate. Thanks a million. Survivor, industry survivor, veteran. Veteran's the forties then. Is it? Yeah, veterans, 40s, oh, legends, 50s, right. 60s, dying. Retiree? <laughs> no, never retire. <laughs> Thanks, George. All right, cheers, Monty. All right, babe. Cheers, man.